In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody? Y'all enjoying your weekend? Sir. Who else uh, did nothing this weekend so far? Nothing? Sweet. If you haven't tried it before, I'd highly recommend it. Um, block off a weekend and just chill. It's, it's great. Um, my name is Chad. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new with us today, I'm glad you're here. Um, one thing I did wanted to bring up today, or and maybe Melissa already spoke about it, but on this card that you all got in your bulletins this morning is a is a connection card and you can fill that out. But on the back of it is a, is a prayer request or a, a praise prayer type uh, section to where you can actually write any prayer requests, any things that are heavy on your heart or anything going on in your life and your family and, and all of that. Not only do we have a prayer team that, that gets these and prays over them, but we as elders meet in the uh, room over here before our service every Sunday morning to pray over our church and to pray over the things that we get in. And so maybe there's something that's weighing in on you or maybe there's something that's going on in your life that you just need some prayer about that um, we you can place on this and put it in our offering bins afterwards. Or if you don't want to do that, you can come up and hand it to one of myself or one of our elders as well. And we'll make sure we hold on to that and get it to make sure that we're praying over it. Because we believe what, Joyce, that prayer? Thank you. And so because of that, we, we pray, we lift things up to God, and we believe and, and with everything that he will bring about change. Um, sometimes that change is, is done um, because of uh, just supernaturally. Sometimes that change is done because he motivates us and, and moves us to actually do something about our situation. Amen. Regardless of what that looks like and how he chooses to move in each situation, we do know that lifting things up to him changes um, us and changes our circumstances. So Amen. today we're in Ephesians 5. Uh, we're going to go 26 to 30. For those of you that were here last week, you probably got to, as I wrapped up the message, you probably looked at the bulletin in front of you and you said, Chad, you didn't finish. You're right, I did not finish because there was something so important that honestly I spent way too much time on the front part of the message and ran out of time. So that's the honest answer that you'll get out of me. And so, but today I also wanted to get into something that I also felt deserved a lot more time than what I was going to allow for last Sunday. So last week we opened it up, and we and if you're if you're a wife or a woman in here, and, and you probably were walked away saying, "Man, he really said you know a lot of things." But towards us, now what about the men? You didn't really. Some people that are close to me said, "Chad, you failed really challenging the men last week." So guess what, guys? Today's your week. Do not run. Lock those doors, Chris. <laughs> Just kidding. So today I want to focus in on, and so uh, I'll focus in on our role as, as husbands and the marriage relationship and what Paul writes and challenges us to uh, and, and kind of unpack that a little bit more. Not so much, not so much the, the what we're supposed to do, but what happens when we actually do it. Like what happens when we actually walk out what God is challenging us to do? Because there's one thing for us to know what we need to do. It's, and the, the other thing is, okay, we know it. Now we have to live it out. And it's in that living things out that change happens, that our lives change, that our circumstances change. If we just know it and don't do anything with it, then that, that, that peace we want never happens. And then we get frustrated at God because what his word says isn't adding up. 
And the problem is, is we've got to start walking it out. So last week I mentioned two things. There's a piece in here, the passage of Ephesians 5, that he taught, used two words. And the two words he used is, wives, submit to your husbands. And if you go even before that, he talks to the, everyone. He said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he uses this word, submit. The second word he uses, and he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so we started thinking about why did he use these two words. And just to recap, just a little, uh, not much, just a little. The reason why we, we unpack submit as this, this idea of surrendering my need to have control. Surrendering my need to have control of my husband. Surrendering my need to have control of people around me. Surrendering my need to have this piece of control. And so we define it as that. Um, and so that was the piece that we walked away with. The other one is he said love. And just so you know, we, if you jump back to Genesis, it's all laid out there where, he, where the, when Eve, uh, Eve's consequence to her sin in the beginning was that in her heart, there was this desire to have control over her husband. And so there's already this desire there um, that exists that we need to realize it's there and that we need to say, you know what, I, I need to surrender that in, in my relationship with my spouse. So then the other one is because of Adam's, and we, I use the word the passivity because Adam was passive, and I said this too, I, solely, I truly believe that when this particular piece happened, this time happened, I believe Adam was nearby while Eve was grabbing that fruit. I believe that Adam was nearby in an earshot and was around Eve when she was being tempted by the serpent. And I believe that Adam did nothing. And in that, in that place where Adam was passive, that continues to go uh, throughout history in the way I believe men act a lot of times. There's a place where men, we hit this idea or this place where we are not living in what God has given us and we're not living in this place of where we see ourselves the way God sees us and we become passive in our relationship with our wives. Now some of you will say this, well Chad, I'm not passive in my career, I'm not passive in when I play sports, I'm not passive in this. But I will challenge you on the fact that I believe that most men, if not all of us, struggle with some sort of passivity towards our wives. We struggle with some way, in some, when we are living more towards uh, selfishness, we don't speak up when we should. We don't pursue when we should. We don't do the things that we should be doing to show our wives that we love them. And so therefore, I believe that we take on this peace and we live in this place of being passive. And, Adam, and then God goes on in Genesis and he points to this idea. And I believe that out of it, he says this, because, because you ate of the fruit too and because you listened to your wife, you will now um, go and you will work the fields and by the sweat of your brow, by the sweat that you pour out, you will be able to eat. Now that to me says this, you can't be passive and still eat. <laughs> and he goes right at it. You are going to have to put action forward. You are going to have to do something in order to receive something. And he went right at that particular piece. And here's what I believe, man, that if we would start acknowledging this piece, that we do have a tendency to be passive towards our wives, we can actually change our homes. Our homes can change. 
And I believe this, that where our homes are, where our kids are, where we come and we reside and where we, where we rest and where we, we have an opportunity to enjoy life, we have a place to lead out and to love our wives in a way that if we do it the way God calls us to, and we're active in it, it changes that home and it penetrates out into our communities because of what takes place there. But there's a special piece in this Ephesians 5 that I want us to look at today. And this is solely our actions and what we do and how it impacts our wives and how it impacts the way we see our wives. So if you go to Ephesians 5, 26 to 30, it says this. And I'll, I'll read 25 for you just in case you missed it last week. It says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then it goes on to 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Father God, I pray for today, and I pray, Lord, that as we open up your word and as we dive into your word, that you would speak very clearly to us. I, today, I pray specifically for the, the men in this room, the husbands in this room, um, for those that are, for those that will be. I pray for a stirring in our hearts and a stirring in our minds to take what your word says and to live it out. And Lord, not that it, not for any other reason but to bring you glory, but knowing that when we live out what you've called us to, Lord, it, it changes the ones that, that we love. It changes the ones, the way we see those that we love. And so I pray, Father, for a movement in our lives as men to do exactly what you've called us to do. To not be passive, but to be active. To not sit back, but to pursue. And I ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. So what is, so let's, let's talk about this. You ever know that when you look at this word called, this word love, love is an action word. Love is not, we, 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 miss, we mess it up a lot of times. We think love is wrapped around candies and flowers and, and whatever else, and we, we really don't understand it. But love requires action. I can sit here all day long and tell my wife I love her, and I, and I do. And, I, and, and one of the interesting things is, is I, I may tell her I love her too much, and she goes, what did you do wrong? <laughs> and, and so I have to be careful in my, the amount of times that I tell her because it, it, I may get in trouble. I'm just kidding. But anyway, you, you, there's this piece that I can say it all day long, but the, the, the proof is in what I do. If it's, there's not action behind it, if there's not something behind it, it means nothing. Our words can mean, we can say a lot, but if, I, if I'm not living it out, um, it doesn't mean anything. And so there's this action piece that God calls us to as men, as husbands, to live this out and to actually act like we love our wives and to act in that. And so we need to be about being about action and not being passive. So if I'm about being active and not passive, this is what happens when I, when I step up as a husband. 
When I step up as a husband, the first thing it talks about is this in verse 26. It says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This word sanctify. And of all the pictures that Paul uses to talk about the marriage relationship, he uses the, the picture of Jesus and the church. He uses the picture of Jesus and the church body, the one that he gave his life for. He uses this image to help us understand this. See, what happens is, is when we be as a church, when we as a body belong to Jesus, we are set apart. We are not to look like everything else. We are not as a church to look like the society. We are as a church are not to look like the community that we live in. We are to be, we are set apart. We are to be different. There's something that is to be different about us. And he goes back and he says, people will know who you, by, who you belong to by the way you what? Love one another. And that is the piece that sets us apart. That that calling on our lives as a church body sets us apart. Now, it's interesting to me that in the same path, the same context, the same illustration, the same image that Paul writes, just as, the, as so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with word, sanctify, to set apart. Here's one of my, my, my things that's so interesting in, in, in my world is this. How much do I see my wife stand apart from everything else? Or how much does my view of my wife get blurred by everything else I have going on in my life? Is she set apart? Is she, is, do I see her differently? Does she have a different value in my life? Does she, does she, um, does she hold something more sacred to me than anything else? This is, do I have, is that set apart piece true with me and my wife? Or do I do this? Do I, well, I go to work and I work hard because I love my wife. And so she should see that the fact that I work so hard and I provide a living, she should see that as proof of me loving her. Or I stay active and I spend all this time with kids and so therefore because of that um, she should know that I love her and we can make up any excuse that we want in this context but the piece of this is this is that my my wife should be set apart from every other earthly relationship that I have she should be that special to me I should see her that way when I fail to see her that way, I fail to see what this image of what Jesus wrote out or what Paul wrote out in Ephesians. It goes on and it says this. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now I want us to understand that there, there's, a, there's a, a ritual back in this day when, when wives, brides would go through a cleansing before their marriage day, before that ceremony piece. So there's this piece of this cleansing that comes on. But there's something interesting that Paul writes about here. He goes on, he says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now what's he talking about? He's talking about God's word. See, when, when God's word is spoken, there's some power behind it. See, when God says something about us or says something to us in his word, there's something that there's some weight behind it. 
There's power behind it. It's this power to change things. It's this power to, to free us up. It's this power to change our lives. It's this power that can, when we allow it to, to come over us and we actually believe it, His Word has the power to change our lives. Now, I want us to understand this, husbands. Yeah, I, gotta, I need you to hear this on me. Our words have power. What we say to our wives has significant power. How we say these things has power. The tone in which we say it, the, the body language in which we say it, the, the, the demeanor of our facial expression, all this, there is power behind what we say. And I know some of you right now are saying, that's not true, Chad. I tell my wife she's beautiful every day and she rolls her eyes at me. Right? And so what happens is, is we, use, we, try to, to, we try to uplift and we try to, to say something to uplift our wives. And what, what, what we're met with is this piece of, that's not true, or we get our eyes rolled, or we, you know, we get this other piece that we're like, wait, I'm confused. Chad, you said my words have power. Can I say this? Choose your words wisely. Find out what your wife's insecurity is. Find out where your wife struggles. Find out what words she needs to hear from you. I can tell my wife all day long how beautiful she is. And I believe it with all my heart. But that doesn't speak near as much if I encourage her and the amazing wife that she is to me. It doesn't mean as much if I don't encourage her and the amazing mother that she is to our kids. See, there, there's this piece there. There's, a, there's this piece that lives in them that we have to figure out what that is and be able to speak into it. Where do they struggle? Where do, they, where do the insecurities that they have come from and how do we speak into it? And how do we speak words that are wrapped around it that lift them up? And see, our words have power, men. And I can either use it to manipulate my wife or I can use it to uplift my wife. See, Jesus' words have power. And when he spoke them over these, they came to be true. They brought about new life for the church. They brought about setting the church apart from everything else. The church is the entity in which God uses to accomplish his mission in this world. It is set apart. There's no other entity that God uses to accomplish the mission that he has for. It's his body. It's found in his body. It's the one that he gave his life for. In the same context. As husbands, how are our words impacting our wives? If you're a wife here today and, and you're listening to this and, and, and you want to be a wife one day and you're listening to this, may I encourage you to help your husband out. And if in the back of your mind and you say, well, he should know the words to speak to you, let me just say this. No, he does not. <laughs> he very, he more likely than not is um, clueless to this. And I know y'all don't believe me in this particular piece, but, but there's a piece that he needs your help. 
And in a little bit, I'm going to show you, men, how this, how we can actually be proactive in this piece. And I'm going to show you this at the end, so bear with me. But as, as wives, as, as women, if you could be helpful in that piece, that would be good. That would, that would carry some weight with it. So here, here's the piece that we know when our wives are, are set apart from all others. When they're set apart, our words, the what we speak into them, how we see them. So can I encourage you men to, to pay attention to these things when, if you truly want your wife to stand apart from all others. Can I ask you, where do your eyes go when you're in public? When you are in public and we're in summertime and you're at the beach or you're at the pool, can I ask you, where do your eyes go? What are they locked in on? What are they, what are, what's grabbing your attention? There's a great book out there that talks about this idea of bouncing your eyes. As men, we're very visual. We see things and it sticks in our brain and it can come back over and over again. And so this question, this particular piece is very important for us men, is that we need to be bouncing our eyes. We don't lock in on anybody but our wives. Plain and simple. The minute a beautiful woman walks by and we start looking and we could even look and say, well, she's beautiful and she just caught my eye. And I guarantee you this, your wife does not like that. <laughs> promise you. And I also promise you she's paying attention. And by that particular piece, you are communicating something to her that is going to hit on an insecurity that she has. I get to do marriage counseling. I get to meet with a lot of couples. You know, the 100% the of women believe this or will say this at some point at some time in a relationship. Why am I not enough? Why am I not enough for my husband? Did I miss it? That's ingrained there. And every time our eyes stray off from where they need to be, we are communicating to our wives that they are not enough. If they're set apart, they will be enough and we'll lock our eyes on them. Julie and I watch shows, and, if you did, and one of the things that we have nowadays is kind of interesting, and some of the shows we watch, they have inappropriate scenes in them. And so inappropriate to us, we've deemed is that anytime there is a long makeout session going on, that to us is we just, we don't need to see it. So what happens is, is I'll, we'll be sitting there, and if I, if I have the clicker by, I can flip the channel. The problem is, is when you flip the channel, it goes to another inappropriate scene, right? So you're kind of, so what we do is, is I look over at her, and I stare at her. And she used to let me know when it's okay to look back. But she goes, I don't want to see this crap either. So, so now we just stare at each other in hopes that at some point we look. So one of them will check to see if the TV is okay. So here's my point is, you're like, Chad, that's a little extreme. No, it's not. God, man, we don't need any more help in this getting messed up. We don't. If she's truly set apart, she's truly that, that one that I need to lock my eyes on, I could care less about all this other stuff. My eyes don't hurt. 
every time. Where do my eyes go in public? Where do my eyes go in private? When my wife is not around, am I the same person in, pub, in private as I am in public? Am I guarding my eyes and my heart? Am I guarding what's up here? When I'm looking at my computer screen and I'm looking at things and things pop up and things, what am I doing in those moments? Where does my mind go? Do I allow my mind to run to fantasies that, that, don't, that, that are not appropriate? Do I allow my mind to go to places that, that, that include too many other things that are not about her? Do, so do I let my mind get out of control? Do I speak highly of her when she's, when she's present? Highly of her when, when she is away from me? These are pieces that allow me to let her know that she is set apart from all else. Do I build her up or do I tear her down? Do I compare her to others? Last week I asked this question to the wives. Do you compare your husband to um, your, your father? When you look at your husband, you say, well, you don't match up to my dad. And so then in that particular piece, this comparison piece, husbands, do we compare our wives to our mom? If you don't know, ask your wife if you do. She'll let you know. <laughs> well, who are we compare? Do we also do this? Do we look at somebody else's marriage and say, you know what? Man, his wife does this, this, and this. What do you do? <laughs> By the way, don't say, don't go. Like, but, but how many times do we allow this conversation to go, man, she... She can, she, like, I heard she does, like, hems his pants for him. Oh, shut the front door. <laughs> See? And, and it's like, that would be awesome. Do you know how much money I could save on, on Taylor if I could get... Pay the seven bucks and get your pants hemmed. Yeah. But how much comparison do we do? Stop the comparison and enjoy and enjoy who you have. Here's, here's this one. Ready? Do I point out everything wrong with her? Or am I grateful for her? If I would start being grateful for who God gave me, then I would look past the wrong that she may have. Amen. How do I see her? See, when, when, when I start answering these questions honestly and I start looking at what I do in public and what I start doing in private and what goes on in my mind and I start protecting this piece. And some of the guys, if you're in a spot right now, listen, if you're in a spot right now where you're struggling with what I just said and you're in a spot where things are capturing your mind and capturing, capturing your attention away from your wife, and you're like, Chad, I don't know how this works. I don't know how to get away from this. Will you please come and talk to me? I spent over 13 years addicted to pornography from the time I was 13 until about four years ago, until I was Josh 6, until I actually started to experience healing from it. I know what it's like to be trapped in this mindset of wanting to love my wife the way I was supposed to, and yet, at the same time, I didn't know how to get out of it. Don't live there. You're in a church where you don't have to live there anymore. 
You're in a church where people will wrap around you and help you come out of that and live in, a, and live in the light and be able to actually treat your wife the way that she deserves to be treated. So just, just listen, if you're struggling right now with what I just said as far as your wife being set apart, don't hesitate, come talk to me. I got time all this week to meet. If I don't, I'll open it up. That's how important I believe this is. It goes on, and, and so here's the piece. Not only is the piece of the way I see her and how she's set apart in my life so important, but going back, my words. My words can bring about life or they can bring up about shame and guilt in my life. They can bring about life in her or they can point to insecurities that are surrounded by shame and guilt. Choose your words wisely. He goes on in 27 and says this, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Now, I want you to understand this, is that there's this, this presentation that takes place with the church, that, that she, she comes out, the church comes out and is presented to himself. In other words, this is the way he sees her. This is the way he embraces her. This is the way that he allows the church to come to him. And this is, this is the particular piece, is that this, is when we live this particular piece out, she will look completely different to me. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. And we have an opportunity to see our wives in a whole new way. We have an opportunity to see our wives in a whole different way. Some of us are so caught up in this piece of what we talked about last week, where we feel like our wives control us. We feel like our wives are beating us up. We feel like our wives are beating us down. And we focus so much on the negative. We focus on what they don't do rather than who God created them to, to be and who God wants them to be and who God has placed them to be in our lives. That we focus in on the negative and we fail to see. We fail to see who they are. And we fail to see that when we love them the way that God has called us to love them, them they become without spot or wrinkle or anything else that makes them look off or anything else that makes them not look beautiful or that she might be holy without blemish. See, when we do this, they become different to us. Not different to everyone else, but different to us. Who cares what everyone else thinks about your wife? They're not married to her. This is you and your bride and who she is to you. And so when we do this, there's this peace that comes out of her, this peace that, that she becomes, that, that when we look at her, she looks completely different. When we do what God's called us to do, See, we have a, a tendency to focus on the negative in everything. And we may not verbalize it. We may be passive in it. And we may get our shots in on the negative, on the negative pieces. And we may, and we may, better yet, this is something about men that is very interesting. A lot of times men won't say anything. 
they'll just be quiet. And they'll be cold. And they'll withhold their love from their wife. They'll withhold the one thing their wife needs from them. And it totally changes her demeanor. It changes her life. Not only that, we withhold something, guess what? We don't see them the way we're, we can see them. We don't see them the way God has made them. We don't see them holy, without blemish. We withhold and we start pointing out everything about them that's wrong. And if they would just change these things, if they would just adjust who they are, then maybe I would start to see them different. No, 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 stop. Start seeing them differently. Stop withholding what you should be giving. Stop, stop holding back the very thing they need from you. Start giving it to them and watch how you see her differently. So what happens when I stump up as a husband and love my wife the way Christ loves the church? She stands apart from all others, and she will look completely different to me. Lastly, here's what stepping up will require from us guys. This is why we have life groups at, at Lightroom. This is why we do life together. If you're not in a group with other men and other women and, and couples and all this, then, then, then you got to get there. Like you you got you, you to get there with other people that love Jesus and love you and are willing to walk with you. Because there's so much goes on in our lives and in our world and so many things that are in here that prevent us from being who we could be in Jesus. And we do that in relationship. And so if that's a need, let us know. But here's what stepping up will require from me. In verse 28 it says this, In the same way as husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife's wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Let me unpack this. As much as we don't want to admit it, um, men have insecurities just as much as women do. We have things that we struggle with, things that, that we deal with in our own lives that, that is very hard. And so what happens is, is we like to put on a show of strength. We like to put on a show of, of, of that we have it all together. So what happens is, is we do this to, to help cover up these insecurities that we have. But in the reality of it is if you were to open us up, you would see that we deal with fears and we deal with insecurities just like anybody else. And so what, what the problem is, is we act out of these insecurities. And the way in which we act out of these insecurities, one's communicate something to the people around us that is not healthy. And so the piece that we have to understand in this particular passage, I love how Paul writes it. Because he says, he who loves, he says this, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Um, he who loves his wives loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. And I'm going to stop right there. Here's the reality of life, is that if we look around our world today, there are a lot of people that hate themselves. If you don't believe me, pay attention. 
there are a lot of people when you hear this particular passage being read that the problem that we have is how can I love my wife the way she needs to be loved when I have so many issues of my own that I haven't dealt with. And so what happens is, is I start to see myself in light of those insecurities and the light of these in light of all this stuff and then guilt and shame come in and it prevents me from loving my wife the way that I'm supposed to love my wife. And so when Paul writes about this particular piece that no one, no one hates his own body, I believe we live in a world where men actually do hate themselves. If you don't believe me, why is pornography a multi-billion dollar business? Because when a man feels insecure, he goes to a place that's going to help him feel better about himself. And unfortunately, he goes to a place that he doesn't need to go to. But it's a quick fix. And he goes and he gets his quick fix and he comes back to real life. And he feels the same shame and guilt he felt before he went. And so he gets caught up in this ugly cycle. If you don't believe me, think about how many men go and cope with alcohol or drugs. Or they go and escape to hobbies. Or they go and they put all their value in, in the job that they do and the career that they have. And if they would just get the right job and the right career, and if they would bring in about the right money that provided for everything. And so all of a sudden, their insecurities are starting to be fixed by all these external things. And so what happens is, is I'm covering up who I am and all the faults that I have and all this other stuff by trying to cover it up outwardly. When the reality of it is, is well, how does, how does Paul end this particular passage? He ends it with this. Because we are members of his body. Do you realize that because we're members of him, his body, we belong to him? And because we belong to him, we are valuable to him? And if men, if we would start to realize that our value is not based in how much money I earn or in what I do or don't do or in all this other stuff that we like to think brings us value, if we would simply, listen to me, if we would simply realize that our value comes in belonging to Jesus, and because we belong to him and because we are his child and because we are his, a part of his body, we are valuable. We have meaning. We have a purpose. And because of that purpose, it frees us up from trying to cover up all the other crud that we try to cover up with all this external stuff that means absolutely nothing. And so the problem, the thing is this, is if I would deal with my own insecurities, and here's what it looks like. It looks like me going before my wife and saying, here's where I struggle. Here's where I struggle. Julie and I were on vacation a couple weeks ago. We're sitting at the um, airport trying to catch a flight. We were having dinner. It was... My, kid, my kids are awesome. They meet friends wherever they go. So there's complete strangers in this airport restaurant or whatever. And they're over there playing with them or whatever. And Julie and I start talking. And I'm the type that tries to keep it all together and let her know that everything's okay. And there was a moment in this particular piece where I just looked at her and said, Julie, I'm struggling. I don't know if I'm doing enough. I don't know. I'm just struggling. She met me with compassion and she met me with grace. She even smiled at me in a different way. Not in a bad way. It was a good way. <laughs> See, it's in those particular pieces. If you're not there yet, grab some men and go talk to them. Here's where I'm struggling. Let it out. 
Get it out in the light. Watch what happens. See, if I don't deal with my own insecurities, here's what will take place. I'll be selfish. It'll be all about me. Christ didn't love the church that way. If I don't deal with my insecurities, my responses to my wife will be the same that they've always been, and they will be harsh, and they will not be loving because I'll be acting out of that. If I don't deal with my insecurities, I'll make it all about my needs and my needs only. See, my own insecurities are about my shame and guilt. They come from my history. They come from prior experiences. And they play a part in whether I believe I'm valuable or uh, valuable. And so rather than looking at what, how God sees me, and rather looking at the lens in which he gave his life for me, I look at it through my shame and my guilt and the experiences of my past and what I've done and haven't done, where I've failed and where I haven't failed. And I start seeing myself through those lenses and I need to stop seeing myself through those lenses and I need to start seeing myself through the lens in which Christ sees me, which is grace and mercy and love and compassion. Amen. And that I am valuable because I belong And when I see myself in that peace, guys, then I can love my wife the way Christ loves the church. Unselfish. Without reservation. And when I start doing that, she looks different to me. You know what else happens? starts looking different to other people. See, there's this glow that happens. See, when we love our wives the way we're supposed to, there's this, this radiance that comes off of her. And people start to know that she has a husband that loves her. Kids start to know that mommy's loved. People that know her start to know that she's loved by a, a man that loves God. And that's where this peace comes into. If we, we are designed to make an impact in this world, and this way it's designed is for us to carry this out and be action-oriented, not passive. And so if you're a man in here today, I'm going to help you out. Julie, we come up here. By the way, um, I'm going to ask my wife two questions. I did not tell her what to answer. <laughs> she is free to say whatever she wants. Okay? Many of you struggle with how to communicate to your wife and what to ask and how to ask it. I'm going to give you two simple questions to ask. And by the way, you, if you're dealing with this passive piece, this is not passive. This is being action-oriented. Hey, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Because I know I know you hate this. So he's not saying anything. <laughs> thanks, Josh. <Jonathan. laughs> no, that the first question? No. <laughs> um, what do I do currently or even in the past that communicates to you that I don't? So Chad had asked me about this, um, kind of discussed it this morning, and um, 
So a couple things I had come up with was one, um, when he would tell me that he would be home at a certain time, and here I'd taken the time to fix dinner and you know, have it ready at a certain time, and then there's no phone call, he's late, I'm wondering where he is, and it just showed me like a sense of disrespect that he didn't value my time or the time that I took to get dinner ready. Um, but something that we've talked about now, if he is running late, there's traffic, he calls me, and then that gives me a sense of value that he values my time and just appreciates me. Um, another thing that I thought about that I don't think I shared with you yet, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> something, uh, maybe a conversation he was going to have with somebody, and then after that conversation took place, I would be waiting and waiting for that phone call and find out, oh, he maybe called Dale and told Dale about what happened in that conversation. Thanks, Dale. <laughs> um, but that was something we talked about. I said, you know, if there, for example, Yesterday, he had a, or Friday, he had a conversation with one of the elders at another church, and so I was waiting to hear about that, and, and that really, really bothered me and felt not valued if he would have called a friend or somebody else and discussed with them what the outcome of that conversation was. So when he calls me first, even if I don't answer, I at least feel appreciated and valued. Can I add one more? Yes. One of the things we talked about this <clears throat> This is something you said is, um, we go to bed together at the same time. Um, and what I mean by that is when Julie's ready to go to sleep, or I'm ready to go to sleep, we actually go to bed together. I don't stay out on the couch and sit up there and watch TV. Um, and this came out of a, a, a series of things that we walked through that showed her that she's important to me. Now, for those of you that know me is to, and get late night emails from me is that I do work a lot late in the night, and so what she allows me to do is bring my laptop there, but what she can feel is my presence in that bed. And so that communicates how valuable she is to me. Um, that's something we talk about. So, um, here's my next question. How can I show you that I love you? That you are the most valuable person? I just think through some of the things I said as far as you know being present with me as far as we've talked about you know when we go sit out on the porch in the evenings as far as you know it's good and it's well to sit and watch TV together on the couch but when you're not really having a conversation you're not meeting with one another and I value that and I feel important when you take the time and you engage me in conversation ask me how I'm doing The other thing too, she wants she didn't say it now. The other thing that helps her feel loved is when I actually share what's going on in my world. If I try to keep something a secret or, or if I don't share how I'm feeling, I know you guys, I don't want to share my feelings. Get over yourself. Listen, I'm having a rough day. I'm struggling. I'm frustrated about this. And even if you can't put your finger on it and say, listen, I'm dealing with something and I don't know what it is, but I'm wrestling with something that's wrapped around this. 
See, the more we communicate to the ones we love, the more they feel loved. And it may be something else. It may be they need time just with you. It may be they need physical touch. They need a hand on the leg or something like that. It may be they, they may be one that they like gifts. And they need a gift brought to them every now and again. And there's nothing wrong with them. Some of them need words of encouragement and we just need to build them. That's the piece that speaks most to them. But find out what that is. See, there's a book. How many of y'all heard of Five Love Languages? Yep. Okay. So go ahead and take that book. Read it. But here's what I want you to do with it. What does quality time mean? Because I know quality time is huge for you. What does quality time look like for you? And Julia will tell you. Quality time looks like us sitting together with the TV off, actually having a conversation. Physical touch. I can ask her what physical touch means to her, and she'll say, if you're a teenager and you're plug your ears, she will not say sexual intimacy. She'll say cuddling and holding her, and, and that's it. If you ask me what physical touch means, I'll tell you what it means. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. So, guys, see this? I did this in front of you. Asking two questions to my wife. You can do this at home. You can do this in the privacy of your own home. And watch how she radiates because of it. Thank you. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for how you have designed our marriage to be. And that, Lord, because of what we do and because of how I love Julie and for who she is, and Lord, you know I don't get it right all the time. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would change my heart and you would change the men's heart in this room to, to get in line with the way you've designed things. Lord, you're an amazing God. I pray for your healing, your guidance, and Father, most of all, I pray for a courage to impact our men to do exactly what you've called us to be. Not passive, Father, but be action-oriented so that our wives will know that they are enough for us. And because they are enough for us, Lord, that they would radiate in this world. And in our eyes and in this world, we love you and praise you and ask, Lord, that you would move in the ways that you move. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing together. You can respond by giving, by taking communion and realizing how good our Father is.